because I've seen lots of traders out there that have um, an edge or positive expectancy model, but they'll blow up. Welcome to Trade Happy. Welcome back to another Traders Podcast episode. Remember guys, if you are new here, do subscribe. It really does help the channel out. Uh, comment below when you finish this episode and let me know that you watched it the whole way through. Um, I'll reply to every single comment below. So comment anything that you learn below. If you have any questions that you would like me to ask Richard. Um, little sneak of who we've got in the episode today. Uh, we do have a trader who has written multiple books that has changed the trading industry. He has over 17 years of trading experience and you might know one of those books which is Trade Like a Casino. Please welcome Richard Weissman. For anyone that doesn't know who you are, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name's uh, Richard Weissman and uh, I've been a trader since 1987. I started on the floor of what used to be called the New York Futures Exchange as a local screaming in the pits in 87. Did that for a little while, then sold my seat. And from that moment until the present moment became what we used to call on floor an upstairs trader, someone using a computer screen to execute buys and sells. And um, I've developed uh, trading models for you know, probably around 25 years, a little longer, oh. maybe. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I manage mainly my own money, but we do manage some, some, you know, high net worth individual money as well. Mm. And when did you get into uh, the more retail space of trading? So I don't, I don't know that I am a traditional retail. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I kind of come at it from an institutional mindset, and um, and certainly, you know, my my books are written from. Oh, I didn't talk about the books. I've written a couple of books with John Wiley and Company. Um, mm -hmm. First one was called Mechanical Trading Systems, and the more well known one is called Trade Like a Casino, yeah. and the finalist for the 2012 Technical Analyst Book of the Year Award. And, and sure, you know, it's written for a retail audience, um, but uh, I also teach and people in my classes tend to be institutional. What kind of gave you the inspiration to write your first and second book? Well, I was speaking at a conference in Barcelona and um, John Wiley had an editor from the London office that was there. And after she heard my talk, she said, you know, would you be willing to turn this into a book? And I'd already gotten a couple of articles published in what in the old days they used to call um, Futures Magazine. I think they call it Modern Trader now as okay. well, like technical an analysis of stocks and commodities. Um, so I already had a little bit of kind of like a writing background under my belt. So, you know, I didn't think it would be that tough. And uh, so I wrote it in around nine months and mm. I was too happy with it. I kind of felt rushed. So the second book, I didn't tell Wiley about it <laughs> until it was <laughs> done. And that one I was much happier with. And that became kind of my, my 
signature statement about what successful speculative trading is. And from all your success in trading and business, where do you see yourself in three to five years? Like, do you have any other plans to write a book? Or? So, you know, honestly, at this point, it's really just kind of like managing my own money. Mm. I, I, you know, like I take on a couple of money and, you know, a couple of uh, client monies, but really that's just because they're friends and um, the headaches of running a big fund and all that outweigh the benefits. You know, I think that at a certain point, you have enough money to meet your needs and you're just looking to improve the quality of your life. And that's really what trading is for me now. I always think of it as like, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate in terms of the fact that I enjoy teaching and, um, and I get paid a lot of money to do it because of my expertise level. Um, and so uh, I, I don't think you're in the United States, but in the United States, one of the big things is like health insurance. So all those benefits, and stuff like that, you know, I don't have to worry about because I'm working for for a big company um, yeah. and, and getting paid well. And then I think about my trading as kind of like like a bonus kind of, you know. So if I have a bad year, I basically am very good at managing the downside. And so basically I'm trading water. And then if I have an outstanding year, like this year's halfway over, so nobody knows, but so far, this is an outstanding year, and it's kind of like getting this huge bonus. You know? Do you have one trade from this year that stands out to you? Well, it's funny because if you had asked me that in, um, in April or May, I would have said it was short the Russell 2000 index. So um, that's basically it's, you know, we call it small cap, but really it's kind of like mid cap stocks. So we just saw that um, that the market had broken to the downside. And so we sold some stock index futures and um, we just kept lowering our stop. And as COVID-19 kept unraveling, the profits just got bigger and bigger. And eventually they stopped us out, but it was just a huge trade. And I kind of thought at the time that that was going to be the trade of the year. Usually there's one or two that really kind of produce the alpha for us. <laughs> but then, then came silver. Um, I just put on this trade. I saw silver was breaking to the upside. And so I put on this position. And um, I was fortunate enough that I put on kind of a smallish position just because I thought temporarily it was a little overbought. And mm. then on around five times that size into a very minor pullback. Like just the next day, it was down. Let's see, is it down? It's down around 30 cents from our initial buy. And I felt like, okay, well, that's that's a good spot. So I put on a I put on a, a huge amount right there. <laughs> and silver just took off. It was just, it was just like the just like the Russells, except it was to the upside. And we literally just got stopped out of that one, you know, a couple of days ago. Wow. And that was a much bigger, much bigger trade for us. Yeah. And something that I know a lot of newer traders would struggle with is if they were to put the size on that silver trade, 
that their psychology would come into play. Do you have yeah. any advice for those traders that might exit too early? Okay, so really, um, this goes into my belief system. Number one belief that we always say, and when I say we, it's basically me and um, and my nephew, and occasionally um, I'll talk to one of my friends who's who's like um, he's he's a professor of finance at LSU. He's really great at risk management. Um, so he's kind of at our access as an outside consultant just because he's a friend of mine. But really, it's my nephew and I. And we just have these basic beliefs, you know, which is that uh, nobody knows anything. Number one belief. Since nobody knows anything, any particular trade could be a success or a failure. And in that type of a world, we have to be really good risk managers. So um, when markets are, uh, are going our way, we will continue to hold the position until the position um, has, you know, has, has stopped going, in, in the case of silver, going up, or until we're in the Russells, the case of the Russells earlier in the year, stopped going down. But as long as it keeps going up, we don't get out. So that, and that goes to one of my kind of rules of trading, which is don't anticipate, just participate. Nobody knows anything. And what that means, nobody knows where the top of the silver market is, including us. And we know enough to know that we don't know. We're humble enough to admit that there's no way we're ever going to predict the top or the bottom of any market. And consequently, we're just going to keep going with the path of least resistance and, and lifting our stops. And then once the momentum wanes, they're going to stop us out. And if it's a good trend, we're going to end with a good profit. How do you think the average trader out there can trade like the casino? Well, the principles are pretty simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. So you do the research, first of all. I think that, I mean, unfortunately, most people are just lazy. They won't spend the time with the data. The data really tells the story. And then there, you know, and to be perfectly honest, there are people that are better at understanding the data than I am. Like, um, you know, um, if you think about uh, Renaissance technologies, you know, James Simons, I mean, I'm a good trader and I, I do well and I've done well, but I'm not him. I mean, he's really good at the data. That's he just, and he has a team of, of, you know, math PhDs, and they just analyze data over and over again. So that's what you really need to do. You need to be comfortable with data analysis. You've got to look at historical data and determine what's the noise, you know, versus what is um, a statistical edge. And um, the more time you spend analyzing the data, it's just basic bottom line stuff, the more time you spend doing the work, the more you're gonna see um, things that are beyond just pure randomness in the data. And that's mm -hmm. where you focus, because that's gonna be your statistical edge, that's where the profits are gonna come from. 
And then you combine that with prudent rules of risk management. So even when we feel really, really strongly about our particular position, we don't risk more than 200 basis points of total assets under management on that position. It dampens the emotionalism and enables us to have the discipline to just play the probabilities and manage the risk. Yeah. If you, if you couldn't, let's say you had a new trader and you were going to try and make that trader profitable. Yeah. But you couldn't, you couldn't let them do backtesting. Mm-hmm. How, how would you improve their positive um, expectancy model or probability of being profitable? So, so that assumes that they've already got a positive expectancy model. Yeah. I would question how they know that it's positive expectancy if they haven't done any testing. Uh, okay, so let's say they have done their back testing. How would they? How would you improve that probability of being profitable? Okay, so um, now you're really talking about what the nature of their statistical edge is, and different edges could result in in different. Um, in different uh, aggressive or lack of aggressive or conservative uh, approaches to risk management. Um, And when I talk about aggressive, I think I'm kind of aggressive, you know, risking 200 basis points is, is pretty aggressive. And then also, once we have a position on and we're able to move our stops such that we, um, we would get stopped out with profits, all things being equal, we'll add even more risk. So like, um, for example, uh, I originally had a position on, which was like long Euro, and that represented 150 basis points. And I added another 50 basis points of long pound sterling. And I was able to raise my stops on those. And consequently, I added another 100 basis points of long uh, treasuries uh, on uh, on Wednesday. So if you look at that, so now you're talking about 300 basis points, right? But because they didn't all come in at the same time, you know, I was able to add even more. Um, so mm-hmm. some kind of like tricks that I use in order to extend positions beyond that 200 basis point upper risk threshold. But they're mm-hmm. proof, you know, because now if I were to get stopped out, well, now actually treasuries moved in my favor. So now if I were to get stopped out, all three positions are going to be stopped out of profits. Um, but let's say that it didn't work that way. I still only would have given up 100 basis points and the euro would have been stopped out with a big profit and the pound with a small profit. So, so I, use, I use that kind of staggering in uh, with correlated assets to build portfolios. Okay. And do you think that that's something that the average trader could or should do? Or do you think that they should stick to one thing? Um, I think that, you know, I mean, well, you know, you're talking to me. So my opinion is mm. that portfolios are, uh, are a good way to go. Um, I've heard people say, you know, I just trade one market, but I just, 
think that what that what that assumes is that there's always opportunities in one market. And I think me personally, I think 70% of the time markets are kind of boring. And if you're only looking at one market, you know, you're not gonna see as many opportunities. Yeah. Looking at like we look at 30 different markets. So, and we don't look at individual equities. We're just looking at futures. Well, do you think that there's anything that a trader should add to their trading plan that they might not be thinking about right now? Well, I mean, like I said, you know, and I didn't say it. So uh, Markowitz said the only free lunch on Wall Street is diversification. So, you know, developing that diversified portfolio of assets is a good add-on. But I think the casino paradigm is really where you need to start. Develop a positive expectancy model, manage the risk when losses come in clusters, um, and the discipline to keep adhering to the model and to keep managing the risk um, when losses come in clusters. That's just basic, you know, successful trading 101. Yeah. Add to that, uh, portfolio diversification is a really great add-on to um, to make those to make that methodology more robust. Mm. And also, and... what I call what I call the golden ticket. So it's like you look for situations that are high probability, um, low risk, and high reward. Yeah. And that's why we look at 30 different markets because it's hard to find those, you know, you're looking for these setups that are like that, you know? So, and I'll give you an example. So this is a really simple example. So let's say that we believe in trend following. We believe that markets trend, right? So that's high probability. High probability that a a trend in motion is gonna continue in that motion, whether it's up or down. So that's the high probability part. Mm -hmm. But now let's look at, and we're gonna define a trend as when the market closes above 200 day moving average, it's a bull market. When it closes below the 200 day moving average, it's a bear market. So simple stuff. But of course, you know, it's not gonna work all the time, but that's okay, it doesn't need to work all the time. Um, And then we're gonna augment that with just like a simple oscillator, like a percentage oscillator like RSI. So, of course, it's going to be above the 200-day moving average when the RSI is above 70, but now that's not low risk and high reward. So what we're going to try and do is we're going to wait for the market to pull back, yet it's still in a bull market. It closes above the 200-day moving average, and the RSI is now below 30. So now you've got a situation where you buy into that pullback, and it's high probability because you're still in a bull market is defined by the 200-day moving average closing above the 200-day moving average, but it's low risk because you bought into that pullback. And if the trend reasserts itself, it's going to go to new highs, so it's high reward. So that's an example of, of what we try and look for. Yeah. And from all of your experience, what would you say sets profitable traders apart from non-profitable traders? Well, the most important thing is um, is risk management because I've seen lots of traders out there that have 
um, an edge or positive expectancy model, but they'll blow up because they, you know, they just don't respect the downside. They don't respect the fact that at any given moment they could lose, you know. I mean, we have a trade on right now that we put on, it's probably gonna lose. You know, we just put it on today. And uh, we thought that we had a breakout to the downside in, in hogs and um, you know, it looked like a good breakout. Looked exactly the same formation as silver looked, you know, but it's probably a loser. And so what saves us in those situations is we manage the risk. We're willing to take the loss. That's the most important thing. If you can't yeah. loss, you're gonna, you're not gonna succeed. There's quite a few traders that I know myself who aspire to trade for investors uh, or a prop firm. Do you mm -hmm. have any advice for these traders considering that you've done that side of it yourself? So um, first things first, I think that you want to have a minimum of 10 million in of other people's money under management before you go down that road because there's gonna be expenses. Right now, as an individual speculator, you've got no expenses. Um, so you need to raise capital before you take on the expenses. Just like, you know, just like any good business model, you know, you wanna have your ducks lined up. I think people do things in the world of trading that they would never do in a normal business, you know? Mm. Like normal business, you would never invest money in something that you didn't know would had a good a, a good probability of working. And yet people do that in trading all the time, right? They're like, oh yeah, my broker told me this thing's going up. Or, you know, I heard a rumor that this thing's they're gonna have this new drug, this company. Okay, well, you know, how is that an edge? You know, it's nothing. It's just basically mm -hmm. someone telling you something. And maybe it's true, but you can't earn a living from that. That's not something that's repeatable in the marketplace year after year, decade after decade. So yeah. it's a viable business model. How do you think someone would be able to find someone with that kind of capital? So 10 million is really not a lot. Um, there are individual investors out there, individuals, you know, that, that have a net worth of, let's say, 100 million. And so you're asking them to take 10% of their net worth and put it into this thing. Um, and, uh, you know, people in that kind of a boat, they generally are kind of entrepreneurial anyway. That's how they got into that boat. Um, or, you know, you could look at it the other way. You got people that have 10 million. Well, there's lots of those people out there and you're asking them to do 10%. So that's a million, you get 10 of them. And now you're at that 10 million level that I was talking about. And how do you get them? You've got to have a real time track record, three years minimum, I think. You know, I, I would be embarrassed to, to show um, some high net worth individual a track record of six months and say, oh, give me a million bucks. You know, mm. This is nothing. You want to be able to show them three years minimum and really, I think, five years is a, is a good round number, which is why you got to look at it like a business, you know. So yeah. for five years, you're going to be building a track record um, with the idea that after five years, 
you're going to go to stage two, which is attracting individual investors. And then once you have them lined up, you get to stage three, which is attracting institutional money. Okay. Really um, hard. <laughs> so let's say you've got the three to five years of uh, data. Where would you find the investors? Like, um, is there networking events possibly or uh, LinkedIn? What What would you do? All right. So let's let's be clear. It's it's you have a real time track record. You've actually done this with your own money for three to five years, yeah. and you you have a consistent, let's say, I mean, it depends really. It's all about how much risk you took to make that money. So if you have a consistent like 10 to 15% return and you only risked 5% to get that, you look really good and people should invest with you. Um, you know, there's different ways of doing it. If you could get um, a relationship with a broker, your FCM, uh, they can sometimes put you in touch with them, uh, with these high net worth individuals in exchange for, you know, doing brokerage business through them as you're building. Mm. Um, and then just, you know, network people, people, if you have a, a positive expectancy model, people do tend to find you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. is there anyone inside of or outside of trading that you look up to? Well, I already mentioned James Simons. I think he's incredibly underrated. I think people, most people have never heard of him, which kind of just speaks to the nature of, of this beast. Um, you know, people are very attracted to kind of like flash and personality. And this guy's just, you know, he was the head of the math department at Sony, at, at, um, at SUNY Stony Brook. Um, so he's not, a glamour guy you know what i mean but he did the work he knows the math he knows how to how to make it work and i mean there's no track record in the history of wall street that's anywhere close to this guy but i also recognize that i i am not him so it's important to be realistic about who you are mm -hmm. so um so and i don't need to be him i mean i'm not i'm not as ambitious as he is i'm just you know, I'm just trying to have a really good life no matter what. So like if, if my employer that I'm really happy with um, because they basically let me do what I like to do most, they suddenly said, you know, well, you know, we're closing up shop and it's time for you to retire. So I could deal with that, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a good position to be in, you know, in terms of quality of life, and lack of stress because trading can be stressful, you know? And that's the other thing that people don't realize is once you start taking on other entities' monies, it increases your stress. So you might know how to trade really well with your own money. Once you start dealing with other people's money, now you got their stress. Yeah, and do you have any tips for reducing the stress? Um, I mean, you know, there's things that you can do. Um, number one thing is don't risk too much because I think stress is a function of risk. If you're over leveraged, you're going to be more stressed out. Mm. Um, have confidence in the data, which means doing your homework, doing the research, that'll reduce your stress. 
And then there's extraneous things, you know, like you should probably, you know, walk every day, do exercise every day, yeah. uh, take care of your body. You know, uh, so what does your, what does your average day look like? It's pretty, it's pretty easy, honestly. I mean, you know, I just, um, we're at this point, um, uh, new entries, new position entries are triggered on a closed basis only. So in order for us to get a buy or a sell signal in a, in a, in a uh, contract that we have not previously had a position in, it has to close above or close below a certain level. So there's very little intraday stress. Um, on a busy day, like we had a busy day today because it was a Friday and um, our positions in the softs did really well. So I wanted to move the stops before the markets uh, were closed for the week. Uh, so there's a little bit of activity intraday if positions are going in your favor. Positions that are going in your favor, there's really nothing to do. <laughs> Either one of two things are going to happen. Either it's going to stop you out or it's going to start going in your favor and you can move your stops up. Do you use algos at all? Um... And also, do you combine your uh, technical analysis with fundamental analysis? But I'm guessing you do, considering that you have such a broad range of uh, assets that you trade. So, um, first question was, what, what was the first one again? Say do you again? use any algos? Oh, algos. So yeah, I mean, you know, the the algos are basically an algorithm is based upon some type of math, right? So yeah. all of our models are math driven, but they're not executed by a computer. So in that sense, they're not. Right, but okay. Driven. So in that sense, it's an algorithm. Yeah. I guess it is. Yeah, <laughs> most people don't realize that, but it is. <laughs> um, in terms of using fundamentals, I try not to think too much about fundamentals. I mean, you know, I certainly understand them and I teach them to people, but I really just let the algo do its job. You know, I spent mm. a lot of time testing it and understanding why it works and what, you know, when it works and how to modify it and when to modify it. Um, so, uh, I just let it do its thing. Right. Yeah. The, the final question I really have is what's some non-conventional advice that you would give to a trader who wants to succeed? I think that you need to, um, have something else going on because if everything is focused on trading, when the down periods come and they will, um, you're going to get discouraged and give up. So I'll, I'll give you an example. We, from 2008 to 2012, we were just knocking the cover off the ball. I mean, like 30% rate of return and then like 25 and then like, you know, 18 and then like 23. And then after that, from 2012 until 2019, we were kind of just treading water. I mean, we did okay. We built a little bit, you know, but 
nothing like those years. Mm. And if everything is focused on trading in your life, you start getting really, really discouraged because that's a long period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, that's for, for some people, that's just, they won't be able to survive. So if yeah. you have something else that keeps life interesting for you, um, like doing the research, mm -hmm. doing the, you know, data analysis, studying the charts, studying risk management pro protocols, writing articles, writing books, uh, teaching courses, you know, things like that. Or it doesn't even have to do, it doesn't have to have anything to do with trading. It could be like creative stuff, like, you know, you paint or whatever, you know. Um, you're going to be less focused on this shallow period of performance and uh, you're going to survive it because no matter who you are, you have to prepare for shallow periods in performance and you need to have something else going on in your life that's going to get you through those periods. Hmm. And is there anything else that you would like to say? And also where can people find you? So, um, you know, certainly uh, if you put my name into Amazon, Richard Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N, you will find my books, you'll find Trade Like a Casino. That's really my definitive statement on trading. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can reach out to me uh, via DTN. So I'm, I'm an instructor over at DTN. I'm kind of their technical analysis guy. And that's um, uh, Richard.Weissman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N, at D, like David, T, like Tom, N, like network.com. Okay, great. Um, thank you for getting on the podcast today. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Jacob.